Good morning. Grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at a story from the Gospel of Matthew about John the Baptist, and we're going to see John waver a little bit and um, ask Jesus through his disciples going to see Jesus for him what to do with his doubts. And um, it, it's a great story to watch Jesus minister to John because we can easily, if we just meditate, pay attention to this, we can easily find in the story and how Jesus handles John some very important insights for when we are doubting or feeling challenged in our faith as a Christian in our Christian life in this crazy world. Uh, Mike Tyson said one time, everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. And we can sit in our church like it's a vacuum and talk about God until we go out and get hit in the mouth. And we, we could say, praise Jesus, yep, I believe that truth, and you get hit in the mouth. And it's sometimes hard to grasp. And John was hit in the mouth, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had, was, was prophesied about in the book of Isaiah quite a few times, in the book of Malachi. And John the Baptist had his own ministry of being the forerunner of the Christ confirmed by Jesus. He had been told by whoever sent him to be a prophet and to baptize. When you see the Holy Spirit descend on him, that's the one you're to tell everybody about. He did all of that. He was the, he was the biggest event for several months in the Holy Land, north to south. Uh, he was the talk of everyone's chatter. He was out there by the Jordan River. He was a sophisticated man. He didn't necessarily grow up un civilized. He lived, though, out there off of locusts and wild honey, he had camel's hair as, a, as his clothes, and he preached, God's judgment is coming, and his Messiah is going to make everything right. And one of the things he's going to make right is God's accounts with every human being, which people listening appropriately to him would be stricken with the knowledge that they are going to be accountable before God. And John would say, but God is a gracious God. The Messiah is a gracious Messiah. And he said, if you would get baptized, it will wash all your sins away. And it's because he says so. He gave me this baptism to give you. And people would go down and get baptized, and they would have this sense of, although I'm honest about my sin, I'm forgiven and I'm loved. And they, their lives were turned around. They're like us. They were converted to the gospel of the Messiah before Jesus had ever come on the scene. And then when Jesus came, John once said to his disciples, Look, there's the man who's going to take away the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. And he's already said to his disciples in John 3, I must decrease, he must increase. But John kept preaching. Because God did not reveal to John as an Old Testament prophet everything God never revealed to an Old Testament prophet everything. Peter later said they would look carefully into the things that they prophesied to try to figure out how it would all take place. So John the Baptist, although he's got messages from God and it's changing thousands of people's lives and he is the main event, he's still a little bit in the dark. 
And he was no respecter of persons. And so somehow he got in front of Herod, and Herod had taken his brother's wife as his own wife, adulterously, and John named it publicly as his sin and got himself thrown into jail. Now he's sidelined. Now he's not preaching. Now the crowds can't come to him. Now Herod is mad, but he's also scared. And so he would listen to John and bring him into his court and let him talk to him. And John was, was inspired by God and very persuasive. And Herod would not yet pull the trigger to put him to death. Remember, these Herods, starting with Herod the Great and now these sons of Herod, they're all pretty ruthless, scared men. Paranoia and anger mixed together makes for mass murder. <laughs> and, they, and Herod was, but he was scared of John as a man of God. You know the story, right? Later he gets beheaded because Herod's uh, illicit wife's daughter dances for them and she asks for the head of John the Baptist when Herod makes a great promise. So this is while he's in prison. He said he would decrease, but he didn't know how. This took him by surprise. Now he's locked up and shut up and he's wondering. When he preached, he would preach from the prophecies of Isaiah and other places. And he would say things like this. Messiah is coming. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. You had a winnowing fork to separate chaff from the seeds. He's going to separate humanity. He even talking about the, 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 how soon it was going to come, he'd say things like, the axe is already at the root of the trees. He's already bringing judgment. John was preaching faithfully what he read in the prophecies of the Old Testament. In fact, it probably went over your head, but I, and not because you're, you're not intelligent, just because of the way we do worship. We had this long reading from Isaiah 35. If you could just glance at it. I'm not going to read the whole reading. I'm just going to show you a passage. If you page back into your folder to uh, page 5, look at verse 3 at the top of page 5. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Watch this. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution, and he will come to save you. That was John the Baptist's message. This was one of his passages. How can I say so confidently this is one of his passages? In a minute, when Jesus ministers to John through the, the messengers, he quotes the next line, verse 5. Because he wants John to remember. See, John's remembering verse 4. So this is what John, I'll read it to you now. John asked Jesus, are we supposed to expect another now imagine this, the guy that was the great forerunner telling everybody this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, this is Messiah, is now asking, is there another guy that's the Messiah? And the reason he's asking is he thought judgment and justice and goodness and rightness was going to come upon his announcement of the coming of the Messiah. He didn't see the long time between Judgment Day and the coming of the Messiah to earth. He thought there'd be, it'd all happen very quickly, and it didn't. When your life, you think you've got it figured out based on God's word, and then it doesn't go that way, 
you, uh, being a thinking person, will go and question what you thought you knew. And so John is questioning, he's doubting a little bit what he thought he knew because he thought Christ would bring judgment right away. That verse in Isaiah, right? Vengeance. So let's read, you can follow along as I read the text to you. It's on page 8 of your folder, it'll be on the screens. When John was in prison, heard, and he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, remember Jesus doing all these miracles, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? How surprising is that, that the great preacher is asking that question? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Now, what Jesus says next is not just uh, careless words. It's, it's crafted in the language and the word order of Isaiah 35. He knows John is a man of Isaiah because John called himself the voice of one crying in the wilderness from Isaiah 40. So Jesus replies, go back and report. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That's Jesus' answer. If I hadn't already prepped you with some of the background, you would, you would need to have the freedom to admit, why doesn't Jesus just answer directly? <laughs> why doesn't he just say, yes, I'm the Messiah? We don't know, but what we do know helps us. The Romans were occupying Israel, waiting for any kind of insurrection that they would press down. The Jewish leaders do not like John or Jesus, who's rising now in public view. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, tells people when he heals them, don't go tell everybody, just go show the priest. Keep it quiet. Just go home and tell your family. Jesus is constantly putting a lid on the, the pressure the public is putting on him to proclaim himself as the Messiah. Because when he does, and he did, the uh, punishment from the Jewish leaders would be swift, and it was. When they asked him in their court, we adjure you by the living God, Caiaphas said, are you the Christ? They ushered him off, started beating him, got him to Pilate by the next morning. He was dead by the next afternoon. So earlier, here in the story, Jesus doesn't just say boldly, out loud, I am the Messiah, partly because he's managing the whole earth for the timing of salvation. But secondly, he needs John the Baptist to be thrown back into the Bible that John had learned to depend on because Jesus knows that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit have given us the Bible to, protect, to create and protect faith. And he, so he pushes John back into Isaiah 35. And he says, John, everything you prophesied, I'm doing. You, you didn't see the big gap between my first coming and Judgment Day, but I'm doing everything that you said. But see, what doesn't fit is Herod has John in prison. And what doesn't fit, now I'm going to start moving toward application. What doesn't fit for you and me often is you have problems that you didn't anticipate. And you thought, well, if I'm a child of God and I'm blessed by him, I shouldn't be having these problems, especially by that person who's a 
bad person and they're causing me so much pain and stress and sorrow and that country's causing my country so much stress and sorrow and, and you've got all these inner thoughts because you're human that it's, life is not measuring up. If I'm a chosen, loved child of God, where's the justice, right? We cry out for justice and it's not necessarily Ill- illegitimate that we would want it. John the Baptist preached it. He thought it was coming with the Messiah. And it is in his second coming. But not in his first and not right now between the first and second coming. Not in the way that we would beg for it. Everything to be made right. All evil to be banished. Remember the parable, the wheat in the weeds? Jesus is out doing acts of mercy. I'm healing, the, I'm healing people. He says, I'm fulfilling every prophecy about me. So I'm going to move out of that first point. I just want to say it one more time. When you're doubting, run to the Bible and look at how Christ fulfilled every prophecy to bring us salvation. That's what he told John to do. That's what he tells us to do. When he died, right before he said, it is finished, it says he knew every scripture was now fulfilled. And he said, it is finished. I have finished everything that was talked about. I have saved the planet, all of humanity. And he wants you to run to that. He doesn't want you to look at your experience and decide if God is real or if God is on your team or if God loves you. He wants you to look into the word. That's the way it works. But our experience is so tough, it often pulls us out of the word and makes us look at our experience. Okay, so Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended or don't fall away because of me. This is about us falling away, possibly, because God's not swift with justice. And sometimes, and there's some, this is a pretty good-sized group, sometimes there, that we are doubting whether God's really there because he lets so many bad things happen. And the skeptics in our life who don't believe in God, that's one of their big rubs. Why, if God's really there, how could he let a little child be abducted up there by Fort Worth by a delivery guy and killed within two hours when she had her whole life ahead of her? She's a precious, and there's, that's happening millions of times on the planet every year. And why would he let... Uh, Russia and Ukraine do all, all the atrocities of war and every other war after that and all the diseases and all the things and the more we're connected with all of our social media and all we're we're overrun as Christians we go now I'm supposed to take what happens in the test tube of the church when they preach to me and I'm supposed to believe this God is really a just God when all this injustice is happening this isn't new to God This is Cain and Abel, the first family. When sin first started, the first death was murder. He's been patient all along. Nothing new that you're discovering how bad it is that that the world is the way it is. What would make God so weird that he would be so patient with so much evil? A love that's incomprehensible 
to you and me. A love that loves the perpetrator just as much as the victim. That we can barely understand and hardly touch because we're not God. If it says in 1 John, God is love. Jesus was out there loving. He knew Judas was going to betray him. Peter would deny him. He knew they were plotting to kill him, the Jewish leaders. He knew the Romans were going to do what they did. And he, he, did, he still kept what? Offering grace. Offering grace. Even on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because it's a time of grace. The Messiah is about the grace. It's the grace of God for all of humanity that makes him not bring judgment day yet. And Peter later, who was the guy who said, no, you should never have to go suffer for us. Peter later wrote, some people will scoff in the latter days saying God is not, God is not there because he'll take so long to bring the end of the world. He said, they'll tell you that God is not even there. He said, but God's not slow as some count slowness. He's patient. Remember the phrase? This is 2 Peter 3. Not wanting anyone to perish. Who? No one. He gives, he waits so much longer than you and I with a perpetrator to come around and give him a chance to be saved. And John the Baptist, the great preacher of Judgment Day, needed that message. Don't fall away because I'm being gracious. Because I'm being slow in your eyes. Just hang in there. I am the one. But he doesn't tell John everything that I'm saying, that you're nodding, some of you, and now the rest of you are getting it in your heart. You know all this as Christians because it's in your... John doesn't know any of that. You know why? Because he's an Old Testament guy. He died before all of this unraveled and was displayed for us. He's one of the very greatest human beings on planet Earth. And yet he doesn't know what you know. And Jesus wanted both of those points I just made to come out next. So let's read on. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. See, this crowd watched those guys walk up and ask them that question. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Someone who was politically checking the temperature and just getting blown back and forth, trying to draw a crowd, right? A preacher that'll preach anything as long as it gets a crowd? If not, if that wasn't who you went out to see, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? You know, a celebrity, the tabloids, the rich ones, rich and famous? No, those who are wearing fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a, just your everyday prophet. This is the one that was prophesied about, and now he's quoting Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you, and will he will prepare a way before you. <coughs> Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why did Jesus feel like the crowd needed such a great commendation about John the Baptist? How odd this is. Look in the Bible and try to find such a great 
public statement of Jesus about any other person, you won't find it. He'll say things like, you have great faith, or I've not found great faith like this in Israel. But to say nobody born of women is greater than him? Why did he feel the need? And then he quoted Malachi. Because if people, and they did, saw John asking a doubting question, they would maybe discount John's entire message, his entire ministry, and then what would that do to John's statements about Jesus in the hearts of those people? You get it? If John the Baptist is found to be a coward and a defective person in the eyes of the people, and gossip just goes rampant, right? They saw the disciples come ask the question. Then actually, that would make people fall away from Jesus. So for the sake of people's faith, he said, no, 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 just let me tell you about John the Baptist. He's doing fine. He may have had a doubt. He brought it to me. He got his answer. He is the greatest among. But, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And this is what he means. Not like you are morally great or you're, more, you're greater intellect or you're greater in the eyes of God. You're greater by grace. Because you get to see what John didn't get to see. You're nodding, like I said, in this way. You're, you know your status in Christ is, is found in his grace. You understand an even fuller Christ-centered message than John was able to preach, not having seen it all unfold. And John became greater than John. Because John learned the gospel, and certainly when he stepped into heaven, and he became not John the great born of woman, but born of God, right? And John finds his place with us greater than John the Baptist himself if you can understand what I'm saying. All of this today for me, for you, is to say, when you're getting very upset, when you're thinking, I'm not sure about this God thing because of all the evil in the world, I want you to remember that Jesus has fulfilled every scripture that Jesus is still on the grace train. He's still holding back justice until the very last. He's not wanting anyone to perish, perpetrator and victim, but all to come to the knowledge of Christ. He, want, he is holding back in his mercy and grace. What you're seeing is incomprehensible to your sensitivity for justice, especially when you're the one that's being affected. And I have thought and said some things that I never should have when I'm hurting because somebody else hurt me, and I've heard many of you do that too. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying to you right now, don't go there, but run to grace and run to Jesus and run to mercy and get on the grace train. It's the most wonderful thing that he's been gracious. If he's gracious to the perpetrator out there, he's gracious to the perpetrator in your heart, and he is your loving Savior. Don't doubt him. Because he waits. And what to do? What do you do when you have to live through a world like this? What am I supposed to be doing? What did the Apostle Paul do? Remember when they beat him up and whipped him and Silas and threw him in jail, Acts 16? 
They're singing hymns. They're showing love to everybody around them. They're chained to the wall. They get loosened miraculously. They don't run out. The jailer comes in. They teach him. Who's part, he's part of the perpetration. They teach him the good news of Jesus. It's all over. It's all over the New Testament that sinners who follow Jesus learn it's about being on the grace train ministry and not falling off that wagon. It's, it's staying in it through thick and thin and loving everybody, including those who hurt you, so you can be a light. And you look down through history at everyone that's, that's made it a name that we study and we think about as Christian examples for us. Luther, life under the ban, uh, threatened by so many people, people trying to kill him, just stayed at it. Uh, we could just go on and on, right? Eric Little, that guy from Scotland, the Chariots of Fire movie guy, he's o the real story, he's over in a concentration camp in China, and he died of a brain tumor while he was in there, but he was out uh, constantly serving everyone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany is preaching the gospel and loving people and having devotions in the concentration camp in Germany. And they, he gets killed by the, the Nazis only a f like three or four days before they actually come in the Allied forces and liberate the whole, the whole concentration camp. But these men and women, Corey Tim Boom, they stayed loving people in the gospel train and wait, letting, letting Jesus, suffering with him, just like he did letting him hold justice back so more could be saved. Don't doubt. Run to Jesus. And stay in the grace train ministry. Amen.